Thank you, Nathan. I see you have left a bottle of water up here. Wisdom from experience. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Lord God, send your, the angel of your presence with burning coals from the altar. Lord, that I may preach with the unction of the Holy Spirit this day. Amen. I'm glad to see that several of you have uh, the sermon outline that was I provided for you. Uh, I did that so you'd have something to take home. Um, it's just something I do, not many preachers do, but I, I find it uh, perhaps meaningful. Our psalm today uh, is Psalm 136. It's called, in Jewish circles, the Great Hallel, because it is the praise of the name of God. So Psalm 136, beginning in verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Are you sensing a theme here? Uh, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for His steadfast love endures forever. To him alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. As a heritage, To Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. This psalm recites part of the history of Israel uh, as examples of the covenant love that God has for his people. It was probably written uh, as a, a choir sing in response. So at the close of the service, we're going to read this again as a responsive reading. I'll read part, and then you say, His steadfast and love endures forever. This was the, the antiphonal song, and it would have been sung in the temple. It, would have, it was a song of Israel that they sang back and forth as they went up in, uh, to Jerusalem for the days of feast and harvest. Um, it's interesting that this one does not have uh, a superscription attached to it. Some of the Psalms will say something like a Psalm of David uh, or a Psalm of Solomon. Some of them even say a Psalm of Moses. Moses wrote some of the Psalms that we have in the book of Psalms. Uh, but this one does not have such a header, so it doesn't give us that kind of background. Technically, this Psalm is anonymous. We don't know who the author is, but it's included in God's Word, and so we receive it with great joy because his steadfast love endures forever. This is a device that was used by Jesus, by Paul, and even by Stephen in their sermons to Israel. Uh, it was to recite part of the history of Israel as part of the worship. So let's start with the key word of this text. Uh, now my wife tells me, don't make this a, a, a seminary lecture. So um, just, just a little bit here. One, one Hebrew word. Uh, that if I put it on the screen, you wouldn't recognize it because it's in the, the Hebrew script. But it, we think it's pronounced hased, perhaps with a more guttural h to the beginning, hased. Uh, and it means uh, that it's loving kindness. It's also translated as covenant love. The King James has mercy. The NIV does not say steadfast love. It just says love. But this word really is much more than, than, than love. This is the key, one of the key terms in the Old Testament to understand the person of God, his hesed, his steadfast love. It occurs 249 times throughout the Old Testament, and half of those are in Psalms. And in our text today, with 26 verses, it occurs 26 of those half. So this is a, a major theme of the goodness of God. It's one of the most theologically significant terms in the entire Old Testament. Uh, it's part of who God is in himself. God would not be God, the God that we know, the God that we read about in Scripture, if it was not for his hesed, his steadfast love, his covenant love for his people. This is a theme that flows throughout the, uh, the Old Testament. Every time that we see that God does something, it comes from his has said, even things that we think of as being hard come from God's uh, def def defining characteristic of who he is with his steadfast love. Part of this comes from Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 6, 7, and 8. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Then in Psalm 89, we find uh, the theme repeated where uh, it talks about God's covenant love, how he loved his people. Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. This is, this is the foundation of the throne of God, is his steadfast love. It's, the scripture is laying down the principle that how dependable God is because of his steadfast love. And then in Micah, we read also there in Micah about how God has his steadfast love for his, his people. Micah chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who will dwell alone in a forest in the midst of the garden land. Let, the gaze of, uh, let them gaze at Bashan and Gilead in the days of old. I've, I've missed, I'm sorry, I read the wrong verse. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. God delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will, tr- not, he will tread our iniquities under the floor. Uh, you will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. The steadfast love of God was the the love of God from the fathers of the Old Testament. Uh, And this psalm uh, talks about about that. In in my studies about this, there was one mistake that I I don't want people to, to you to make the same mistake. The Jewish Publication Society wrote a commentary on the book of Ruth and in the introduction to that commentary, they say that hesed is cumulative over time. In other words, it just keeps adding up and adding up and adding up. How many of you are taking tests in college? Cumulative tests? Yeah, what is a cumulative test? That's the worst kind, isn't it? Because it starts at the beginning and it just builds and builds and builds. The, the, they say that the hesed is cumulative over time. Sufficient to overwhelm any bad deeds and thus bring forgiveness instead of punishment. And yet that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? Because God says in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins shall die. Well, that's hard. That's harsh, because who doesn't sin? We're all sinners. We're all sinners. The soul that sins shall die. But our psalm talks about the greatness of the love of God. God is worthy of praise because he is good. He alone does good. He alone does wonders. He alone does signs and miracles forever, perpetual, eternal God is great, and God is good. The psalm begins before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, God was already full of hesed. God was already full of loving kindness. He, in the Trinity, among the three persons of the Trinity, there was faithful covenant love. 
God didn't need to create the world. He certainly didn't need it to create, uh, need to create the world for fellowship or anything like that. God created the world out of his faithful covenant love. God is worthy of praise because he does these good things. God is great and God is good, always has been and always will be. This tells us that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. When God started creation, he did it out of his covenant love. He did it out of because he loved He had a plan. He knew where he was going. He knew how this was going to go. And so God did great wonders, his steadfast love enduring forever to him who understands by understanding made the heavens. Uh, We're just now beginning to capture images of the greatness of God's creation. When we sent up the Hubble telescope and they started taking pictures of the universe that's out there. Uh, First, they had a problem because there was a programming glitch in the computer that focused the, uh, the Hubble telescope. And, and the pictures were coming back blurry. And once they figured that out and they adjusted the programming, then they started getting these amazing pictures of the universe that's out there, the great beauty and the great wonder. And then they put the James Webb telescope up. Oh, my goodness. The pictures that they're bringing back of the created order of the universe that's out there, uh, you, uh, whole galaxies, some that spin this way, some that spin that way, and even some that are colliding together out there in the vast spaces of the universe. And we say, God did all of that? Why did God do all of that? Because his covenant love, his steadfast love endures forever. God did that for us. God did that so that natural man, looking at these photographs from from space, from these telescopes, could say, there's only one answer to that. God did it. And if we say, oh my, aren't we smart and aren't we great because we built this Hubble telescope that can look at James Webb telescope and can look out there and see all these amazing things out there, aren't we great? And we've got it backwards. We've got it wrong because God did that so that we could see how great, how powerful, how wonderful how magnificent his love is for us. To him who made the great lights, this, the sun and the stars and everything that, um, that, that's out there. A long time ago, in the early first century, there were some stargazers that uh, decided they were going to count the stars in the heaven. And so at night they would lay there uh, with the, all the city lights or there aren't any city lights because we don't have electricity. But back then, they lay down on the hill and they go, one, two, three, four, um, four, um, five. Uh, and they, they, they counted. They decided that there were in excess of a thousand stars in the sky. And then another stargazer came along and he said, what an idiot he is. There's more than 2,000 stars out there. And another guy came and said, oh, he miscounted. There's 2,001. But God did that. Why did God go to all that trouble? Because his steadfast love endures forever. God did that because his steadfast love endures forever. We see the greatness of God in creation. The stars, the sun, the moon. Now unbelievers have 
no reason for the joy that we feel in that. For the unbeliever who says there is no God. The problem is not why do bad things happen to good people. Number one, there are no good people. Uh, But the greater question is, why is there good? Not why is there evil. The big question is, why is anything good? Because bad things happen all the time. We get sick. We have car accidents. We slip. We fall. Uh, we, uh, we sin one against another. We, bad things happen all the time. Why do we have joy? God made the heaven and the earth, and it shows that he endures forever. forever. It's shown also in, uh, in, in the, the plagues of Egypt. When Egypt had gone down, uh, when, when Israel had gone down into Egypt and they were there as, as their slaves, this tells us that it jumps all past all the other plagues and it jumps to the, the, the death of the firstborn of, the, of, of Egypt. Why did, why did it jump all those other plagues? Well, there's only so much space and you can only put so much in there. But the number 10 plague where the death angel took the firstborn of all the land, if anybody did not have the blood on the doorpost of their home. The firstborn was taken. Now, all of the, I'm going to get into Nathan's next series, perhaps, here just a little bit. Um, these plagues were God's judgment on the gods of Egypt. God judged. The, they, they thought of the Nile as a god. The Nile, because look, it floods our fields. We get our our food from it. We catch fish from it. We, uh, the, the Nile obviously is, is a, a, a god that does these great things for us. And the first plague that God brought on the nation of Egypt was turn the water to blood. And all the fish died. And all the water in all the cisterns, in all the wells, the water in the, the pots and pans that they had, it, it, it all turned to blood. Except in the houses of the people of Israel. Because his covenant love endures forever. Does it endure for everybody? It's for his people. His majesty, his glory, his sovereignty over the gods of Egypt, the, the gnats and the flies and the boils. Oh, the boils are a horrible plague on the people. And the scripture jumps over all of that and goes to the worst one of all, the death of the firstborn. Because God was judging Pharaoh in Egypt. And God says, I'm, I brought you up for this very purpose, that I might show my great and mighty arm rescuing my people Israel from you. The plagues were not random. They were judgment on the gods of Egypt. The plagues showed God's protection, his love, his loyalty to Israel. None of the plagues touched Israel. When the firstborn died, the blood was on the doorpost. Uh, Then they were passed over. That's why it's called Passover, because the death angel passed over them when they saw the blood. It's shown in the Exodus. Psalm 77 verse 20 says that God led them out by the hand. He shepherded them. He fed them with the manna of heaven. He rained down manna on the people of 
of Israel. And when they got tired of the manna and they started to complain, they said, this manna, all this stuff, boiled manna, fried manna, grilled manna, I'm tired of manna, 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 manna. I want, give me meat. I want something to eat. And God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And he covered them up with pheasants. He absolutely, if you read, when you read the story in Exodus, and Nathan will get there, he'll deal with this, I'm sure. God covered them up. They had pheasants more than they could eat, more than they could possibly eat. God led them out. He parted the Red Sea. Why did he part the Red Sea? Because his covenant love endures forever. God loves us. And he does these great and wondrous things. But then he... It comes to a point in the story here where it stops with the conquest of the land of, of, of Israel. What? Why does the story, why does he quit talking about the things that God has done after they've taken the land? He's killed this king, he's killed that king, and God did it because of his covenant love for Israel. Why stop there? I think, and I don't have any scriptural proof for this, but I think this psalm was written at that point in Israel's history. He recounted the history of Israel up to that point. Giving them manna, giving them water. And when God had planted Israel in the promised land because of his faithful covenant love, the story jumps from history in the past to the story of the present. It jumps all the way from, from the settling of the land. It skips over David. Isn't there a whole bunch of covenant love that God is showing to, to David? It skips over Solomon. Uh, it doesn't mention anything of God's provision for Solomon. But we find in 2 in Chronicles chapter 5 where Solomon has taken the throne. He's secure in the kingdom. And now... He's built the tabernacle, he's built the temple, the tabernacle. It's time to fold up the tabernacle and put it away because the temple is ready. And so he sends the Levites and he says, prepare to move all the furniture into the temple. So everything that was in the tabernacle, the tables, the labors, the braziers, uh, all the bowls, and especially the Ark of the Covenant. They come out carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the people of the tribe of Levi are the priests, and Solomon has commanded them, sing a song to the Lord. What song does it say, Second Chronicles chapter 5? What song do you think they sang? His steadfast love endures forever. And they sang, I think they sang this Psalm 138, excuse me, 136, as they brought the the, the furniture and the items of the temple up into the, uh, into the temple. And they moved all of this furniture in. They carried uh, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. And the poles are so long that they stick out across the And you can see the poles outside of the curtain. And the glory of God comes down and fills the temple. God is so pleased with, with what they've done. He, he occupied his very presence and glory. And they can't stay in. They can't stay there. It, it's too bright. It's too glorious. It's too wonderful. The covenant love of God fills the temple. And Solomon comes outside and he prays the prayer of dedication. I think 
when they brought the, the, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant up into the tabern, into, from the tabernacle into the temple, this was the song that they sang. His love endures forever. He remembers our lowest state. And they begin to talk about the love of God at that time. And we can take it from that time also, because this applies to us. For instance, in Mark, excuse me, in Matthew 10, 29, uh, the, Jesus is talking and he says, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet your heavenly father has provided for them. They're, they're, they're common. They're, you know, two pigeons for a penny. That's nothing. That's nothing. Luke tells the same story in Luke chapter 12 and, and verse 6, except Luke tells it just a little bit different. He says, five for two pennies. Now, I'm not very good at math, but two for one penny and five for two pennies. It's like God threw an extra one in there just for, because he loves us. There's an extra one in there, and God cares for and feeds all the animals of the field. All the birds of the sky because of his covenant love. So great is the Father's love that he has shown unto us. Jesus said that we are worth much more than many sparrows. And he loves us. He remembers our lowly estate. He sees where we are. He knows the people that we are. He knows the kind of people that we are, that we are a people of unclean lips. And that we need healing. We need forgiveness. He rescues us from our sin. And sets us free from our guilt. And he covers us with his covenant love. But the soul that sins shall die. There's a separation. There's a difference between the people of God and those that are not the people of God. You're either under his covenant of love or you're not under his covenant of love. Today is the day. Now is the time when the Holy Spirit touches in your heart and you say, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And like the man in the temple, the Pharisee standing over here saying, Oh, God, aren't you lucky I'm on your side? And over here stands the publican who won't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And the publican says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one, the Pharisee or the commoner, which one do you think went down to his house justified? You too, today, can say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's what the call of the scripture says. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when you do, God covers you with his covenant love that endures forever. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And then after the song, Nathan will be available Destiny will be available. My wife will be available. Talk to you ladies if you like. Uh, I'll be here. But let's look one more time at the scriptures. Let's read this together. 
I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his God. Amen. Give thanks to the Lord of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh. And, and his host. Uh, my, my bad. I missed. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Thank you. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. And rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Let's sing together.